When I grew up in the Fairmount section of Philadelphia, I lived literally one block from Eastern State Penitentiary. One of the things when I first started selling drugs when I was 12 was I had, I had, I had crack cocaine placed in one hand to sell, and I had a 38 revolver handgun placed in the other hand. Think of that as a 12-year-old, but that's the environment you're in. The first time I ever got convicted of a crime, I was 13 and got two years probation. That was like my introduction to the criminal justice system was at 13, and it never changed from there. At the time, I, I would say I was ready to die, but I think even looking back, I thought I was ready to die, but I wasn't ready to die. I knew when I was a kid, I, I thought through as a teenager that, man, I might get killed, I might go to jail, but I never really processed sitting in prison when the district attorney is trying to give you life or the death penalty. And it was my first week when I was in prison, in solitary confinement, that a, a prison guard gave me a Bible to read, and that's how I came to faith in Christ. And it was, it was my faith in Christ that began to carry me through the rest of that experience. And I really believe that, like, you know, I'm reading and I'm like, you know, I'm a Christian now, and part of being a Christian is taking responsibility, and that's called repentance. It's taking ownership and going in the opposite direction. I'm asking God, man, get me out of this situation, but then I'm like, but you're guilty of this situation. I can't be praying to God, asking him to get me out of a situation that I'm pleading not guilty of, that I'm guilty of. So I talked to my lawyer and was like, hey, I'm a Christian now. I know this sounds crazy, but you could talk to the district attorney. Or I, I want to plead guilty. And that's what I did. And so I ended up, um, I was able to go to see some of the family of the young man who lost his life. And uh, honestly, it doesn't matter that he was a drug dealer. He was a young man creating the image of God who did not deserve to lose his life. And I was able to, to, to look in the eyes of the family of a victim and to have the family give you a second chance. Because when it was their opportunity to talk, they could have easily said, you know, that's great that you're a Christian now, but your honor, we want justice. You know, he's not coming back. They, 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 they gave me grace and the judge did too my salvation experience of, of God giving me a second chance and saving my soul that wasn't worthy and then going in front of the family of victims who gave me a second chance and forgave me and then going in front of the judge who was willing to give me um, six to 20 years instead of a life sentence, um, it really does something in you. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the man I am today or anything that's going on. My, my, my kids wouldn't be born, you know, if, if I didn't get a second chance. My name is John Kelly, and I used to be known as a murderer, a drug dealer, a drug addict, a Mr. No Hope for Him, Mr. Don't Allow Him Near My Home, Mr. Let's Throw Him Away. There's nothing good that can come from that. And now I'm a pastor. I'm a college graduate. I am about to receive my master's. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a mentor, and I'm an advocate for second chances. Yeah. Good morning, Willow Creek family. Good to see y'all. I didn't know if y'all was gonna come after Thursday. You know, you just want to sit down and rest a little bit more, but so good to be with you all, and uh, good to be with anyone joining in online as well. And so I send you greetings from the west side of Chicago, 
to all your siblings down there on the west side. It's amazing, right? It doesn't matter where we are in the city, no matter where we are in the state. Um, we're one family in Christ, amen? amen? Right? Every tribe, nation, and tongue, man, we know how the story ends. We, we, we might struggle, but we're going we gonna to get there together, right? All for God's glory. So we, uh, we stuck together. Yeah, y'all can clap. It's all good. Y- y'all know y'all can talk to me, right? Like, y'all can say, amen, wrap this up. That's like... You know, keep going, brother. Amen, right? That's good. That's good. Well, good to be with you all this morning. I'm really excited. Um, I, I love the leadership here and the team here, and I'm really excited about your commitment to youth and this theme of hope for youth. Um, I don't know if you turn on the news a lot lately, but, you know, in Chi-Town and surrounding areas, we got a lot of problems, right? There's a lot of challenges. I know for us on the west side, um, youth is a big deal for us. And coming alongside of young people is a big deal. And uh, as you saw a little bit in my story, um, you know, the end always looks good sometimes. But people forget how messy it was in the beginning. And what's interesting, I get to meet a lot of people, and they come up to me, and they talk to me as Pastor John, but they don't, they don't know me from before. And my, my, uh, my hunch is that if you knew me, in my teens or in my early 20s, you probably wouldn't want anything to do with me and you wouldn't want your kids around me. I'm full of anger, full of hatred, no mercy, disrespectful to authority, mad for no reason, reckless. There's a lot of people today that doesn't care at all if I'm a pastor. All they, get, all they still have in their mind is he hurt me 20, 30 years ago, and that's fair. But God reached that man and changed him. And my hope for you this morning is that as you think about the things we will look at, that whatever young person comes to your mind, whether it's your son, whether it's your daughter, your grandkids, your, your brother, your, your siblings, your nieces, nephews, cousins that seem very far gone, that there'll be some part of you that, would, that wouldn't give up on them and reject them. I know when I was at my low, lowest point, that's when I found the Lord. That's when I found God, when everyone rejected me. But my prayer, my question for you is, is there anyone in your life right now, is there any group of people in which you have come to the conclusion, I'm done with that? Maybe you turn on the news and you see all the shootings and your conclusion is, I'm done, I'm done, with, I'm done, with, the, I'm done with Chicago. You see young people walk in in a group and, and target and, and they're loud and you automatically reject them because of how they dress and how they're acting. My hopes is that you would have a sense of compassion and that you would believe that God could change anybody. So the title of this morning's message is The God Who Receives the Rejected. The God Who Receives the Rejected. And my prayer is that you will receive those who are rejected in your midst as well. Let's pray. Would you just bow your heads in a sign of humility, not for me, but before God who is looking at us now? Let's pray. Lord, we need a divine moment here. We don't need a sermon from Pastor John. We don't need something from Willow Creek. God, we are one family in Christ, and we need to hear from Christ himself. We need a word from heaven. The stakes is too high, and life is too short. God, before we get done this message in the next 20, 25 minutes ago, Lord, there will be people in Chicago who have taken their last breath, young people especially. Lord, we don't have time to play games. And so, God, I just pray that we wouldn't apply this message to somebody else who needs to hear it, but we would think about our own lives, our own hearts, our own families, ourselves, and let you change our hearts. And so I just pray that this time would be blessed, filled with your spirit, and led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, and all of God's children said, 
Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. No, sorry, Mark chapter 5. I said that in the past service too. Mark chapter 5. There's a, there's a well-known story here about this demon-possessed man. And you might say, well, John, I thought we were focused on youth. Just track with me. We'll get there. You'll see why we're focused on this man. But there's three things that we learn from verses 1 through 20 of Mark 5 about this God, about Christ, who does not uh, reject, uh, who, who receives the rejected. There's, there's a couple things we learn. And here's the first thing if you're taking points, I mean taking notes, jot this down. Jesus doesn't reject those who come to him. Let me say that to you again. Jesus doesn't reject those who come to him. Let me read the first uh, six verses if you're with me in Mark. It says this, I'm reading from the ESV version. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often, he would often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would break the chains apart and he would break the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Day and night among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let's just stop right there. The story starts with, if you remember the story where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples and the storm comes on the Sea of Galilee and he, he calms the storm. I don't know if you've been in a season where Jesus said, peace be still to the storms in your life. He quiets the storm. And now they're on the boat and they make it to land. And the first person that Jesus encounters is this demon-possessed man who lives amongst a graveyard. Now, I want you to think about this, what kind of dark place this man has to be in. Of all the places you can live, even if you don't have a house, of all the places you can live, you choose the cemetery. I want you to picture what it's like. There's a couple things that we know about this man. The one thing we know is he's been imprisoned for a while. And how do we know? Because in verse uh, 4 and 5, it says that he has often been bound with shackles and chains. So people was like, man, put some handcuffs, some shackles on, dude. Like, he's a threat. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, verse 29, talking about the same story uh, here, it says he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. So there was um, times where there were guards and people even watching him. So he's been in prison before. He's considered violent and dangerous. That's the reason why they feel the need to put shackles on him. Everyone's tried to help him to no avail. Because it said it. It says... um, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he broke them apart. And it says no one had the strength to subdue him. No one could could fix him. Fourthly, we know he was suicidal. Verse 5 says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself. The way he's solving his problems, the way he's answering his pain is, let me cut myself and take myself out of here. Now, you might say, well, John, this guy's a man, but you know what I would say is at some point he was a child. You know, when I see the gun violence in Chicago and I see all the shootings, the reason why I'm so passionate about young people, the reason why I'm so passionate about young men and young women on the streets of Chicago is because when you see guys on the corner and they're running around shooting, the thing that comes to my mind is, man, at, at some point they were a teenager, a child, playing out front. And what happened in between that time? Many of the challenges, they didn't ask for. They didn't ask for the trauma that they were subjected to. We don't know what this man's story is. In fact, 
we don't even know his name. It doesn't even mention his name in the story. He's actually just known as the demon-possessed man who cuts himself. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, oftentimes we only identify people by their situation. Not their name or their person, not the fact that they were created in the image of God. And we don't realize how much our words can be damaging. And you might be like, well, that's not me. We do it all the time. We refer to people based upon their painful situation before their name. Oh, yeah, 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 I know him. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I know, I read about that guy. He's a gang member. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, know, I know her. Yeah, she had an abortion. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know her. Yeah, she, she's battling depression. And then, oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's, he's got an addiction. Oh, he, yeah, he's bipolar. We, we so often identify people by their struggle and not their name. We know people by their struggle and not their name. Do you do that to people? You know, oftentimes when I'm out, I'm traveling the country, I'm somewhere, and people, you know, you say, hey, where are you from? And uh, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm in Chicago. And if people go, oh, where? And I go, oh, well, the west side. And every time they start apologizing to me. They're like, hey, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, for what? But it's because, like, hey, what people see on the news is all they know. But let me tell you what's happening in Austin, the neighborhood I'm in. In the midst of all the division, we have police officers who are working as coaches and mentors outside of their shift for thousands of kids who are playing basketball and baseball. Churches are coming alongside of it, non-for-profit organizations, sports teams in the city, and a lot of impact is being happened. None of it makes the news. So I'm like, don't apologize to me. But the reputation that places have, we judge them based upon that. And it reminds me of in Scripture, remember when Jesus was first calling the disciples? And they went to Nathaniel and said, man, we found the Messiah. We found him. Where is he at? He's in Nazareth. You remember the first thing he said out of his mouth, Nathaniel? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's ready to discredit the Savior because of his neighborhood. I will tell you this. I'm so thankful that, that the Savior I serve comes from a neighborhood in which people said, can anything good come out of there? That I believe that if God was walking the earth today, he would be amongst the people that we often reject. Because, you know, Jesus spent most of his time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners, and people actually questioned him, why are you hanging out with them? He grew up in a neighborhood in which people said, can anything good come out of there? He couldn't even make it to a hospital. He was born in a manger. At one point, he said, son of man has no place to lay his head. I'm so thankful that the, the God I serve understands my neighborhood and my context, even when the world rejects it. We often give up on people once we've exhausted all our options. That's why we say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's why we say, can anything good come out of Chicago? That's why we say, can anything, we put our trust in whoever we elect and not God. And when we've exhausted all of our options, we reject them. I've tried. I've tried talking to him. I've tried talking to her. I've tried talking to my son. I've tried talking to my daughter. I've tried talking to my nephew. I've tried, and then we reject people. Who have you given up on today? Even though he's been in prison even though he's considered violent and dangerous, even though he's suicidal, and even though he's been rejected by everyone, here's one thing we know about this man. Jesus won't reject him. 
we see in verse 6, it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This man has no pride. And let me tell you something. When you you get to that place of truly being broken, and you truly get to the bottom, you don't care what anybody thinks, and you don't have any more pride. He sees Jesus, and he falls on his face and said, I'm tired of cutting myself and trying to figure this out. I'm not around my family. Life is not going the way I thought it would go when I was a teenager. All the plans I thought my life would look like as an adult is not playing out that way. And I've tried it myself, and I'm humble enough now to fall on my face in front of you and ask you to help me. The question we all have to ask ourselves this morning, do you really believe that this man that Jesus is meeting, do you believe that he is redeemable? Meaning, do you believe he can change? I want you to think about the people that come to mind. I want you to think about Chicago. I want you to think about the young people you see. Maybe some people you've written off. Do you believe that God can truly change people? Because if you don't believe it, you won't be available to love them in their mess. Christians love celebrating people while they're clean. We don't like walking with people while it's messy. And it's easier to reject someone than it is to do the hard work of walking with them. And so Jesus, in compassion, shows us here that no one is too far gone. He falls in front of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, man, get out of here. What are you doing? Don't touch me. No, Jesus actually identifies with our pain and rejection more than we think. Did you know that? One of my favorite passages in Scripture, Isaiah 53, verse 3, and talking about the Messiah that would come. Listen to what it says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. How does the scripture uh, identify Jesus? A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. You got sorrow in your heart today? There's some things you're grieved about? No one can look at God and say you don't understand. But notice this, if you could put that verse back up. Almost everything it says in Isaiah 53, you could say about the guy in the tomb. He was despised and rejected by men. People wasn't hanging out with him in the graveyard. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, man, lock him up in a chain. We can't go around him and esteemed him not. Yet his Savior that he's meeting now can identify with the way he feels. Jesus in Isaiah 53, 3 sounds a lot like this man who's at his lowest point. We have a God who understands what it feels like and looks like to be rejected. Jesus receives the rejected. He never rejects those who come to him. Here's the second thing. Jesus can heal our deepest wounds. He can heal our deepest wounds. Look with me in verse 7. It says, in crying out with a loud voice, he said, this is, Uh, the, 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 The man, but the demons are actually, he has demonic spirits within him speaking out of him. And it says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, that is Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? So Jesus asked him his name. And it's interesting, the demons are actually speaking to Jesus from this man. He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. A legion was about 6,000 soldiers in a Roman army. And it's amazing that that these demons inside of this man is addressing themselves as a legion. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So, they gave them permission, so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herds, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Jesus delivers this man. Jesus walks up, and he, so this guy falls on, you know, in front of Jesus. Jesus says to the evil spirits in him, get out of him, come out of him. Jesus has this conversation with these demons. He casts them out into a herd of swine and, and, and pigs, and this man is now transformed. What's amazing about this passage is, picture this, this guy has cuts all over him from cutting himself. He's been in shackles and chains. He's a danger to himself and anybody else. Jesus is not afraid of losing his life to this man. He's like, I'm not afraid to go talk to him. And he meets the guy's spiritual need, the deepest needs of his heart, transforms him from the inside, and it changes him on the outside. Why is that so important? That's because Satan, you know there's a real being called the devil. There's an enemy, and he wants you to think, he wants our youth to think that all of your problems are physical and not spiritual. And so we end up thinking, if I could just make more money, if I could just get married, if I could have people like me, if I could live my dreams, if you're a youth, if I could finally live on my own, I'll be better. And what you don't realize is there are band-aids. You get them and you still feel empty inside. No, Jesus connects this man's physical problems to his spiritual problems. Nobody in his life could fix him. He had wounds deep inside that only Jesus could touch. Nothing externally could solve the deepest wounds of his heart. My wife and I, we've had the same mechanic, car mechanic, for about 10 to 11 years now. Great guy on the north side of Chicago, very trustworthy, and uh, this amazing, amazing guy. But, he, but whenever we uh, have a car problem, or anytime we have an issue with our car, we take it to our mechanic. We never take it to a body shop. We take it to a mechanic. And the reason you don't take the, like, a problem with your engine to a body shop is body shops focus on the external parts of your car. If you get in a car accident or a fender bender, they fix the outside. They don't fix the inside. And the problem that we have today is that there are many Christians, many people, and many, many people who don't know the Lord who are trying to fix mechanical problems, internal problems in body shops. They're looking for things to fix the deepest scars of their heart with external solutions. And social media just made it even worse. Because you could be whatever you want to be on social media. So people just think, man, if I could just look good, if I could. And I'm telling you, I know a lot of people that said these things and all the doors opened, all the money came, all the platform came, and they still feel empty. Material resources can't change the heart. And the lie that we believe is that people, places, and things will fix the deepest needs and deepest wounds of the heart. heart. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he says this, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his soul? Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're a young adult. Maybe you're in your teens. Somebody drug you here. And you think that The peace will come. The security will come if you get in the right relationship, if you make the money, if you get the accomplishments, if you go with the crowd, if you do things your way. I'm telling you, you will feel empty in the end. Jesus, the thing I love about this part with Jesus is 
there's just one aspect to the human existence, the, the depths of the soul of the heart that only Jesus can meet. And a lot of times we don't realize, and young people don't realize, we don't even know where to start to fix our mess. Don't leave me up here. We don't, know, we don't even know where to start sometimes. When I talk to young people on the west side or I'm somewhere around the country and I'm talking, you could tell somebody that don't even know where to start and needs healing because they always respond one of two ways. I love to ask people about their life and what's going on. And people will, young people will share something very traumatic and then say, yeah, but it's cool. It's like you just said you was abused most of your life. And that this happened to you and this happened and you saw this traumatic experience. But when you don't know how to navigate that, you learn how to numb yourself to it. And a lot of problems with our young people and young men on the west side is God, people have become numb. We say, man, you're so strong. We confuse that. We, we think, oh, you're so strong. And yes, to some degree, you are very strong in what you've been through. Can't imagine how you made it through that. But be careful of mixing numbness with strength. So often we think we're strong, but we're really numb. Well, sometimes I'm talking to young guys and you start this getting, you know, you get close to the wound. Because when you get close to the wound, young men and young women, even adults, we'll all be like, man, I don't even want to talk about that right now. I, don't, I, mean, I didn't even know where to begin with myself in that prison cell. I had so much bitterness within me, so much anger. Stuff I saw that I shouldn't have saw. My dad who wasn't there. Everybody who I thought would be there leaving me. Full of anger, full of rage. Shame. And emotions that I don't even know how to process. And I didn't go to a church service. I met Jesus. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. Maybe, maybe you said, you know, yeah, that's all religion. This man didn't come to religion. He met a person. And he hasn't been the same since. And I want to tell someone who's listening right now, that maybe that's the whole reason you came here this morning, is that deep hole in your heart, there's only one person in existence who can heal that and heal your sin. And his name is Jesus. Now, let me give you all some encouragement. And this is, um, this is a pressure reliever for me. We do too many funerals on the west side. When I preach and I get up here and I talk, this is not a joke to me. Because oftentimes I talk to people that I might end up doing their funeral the next week. It's not a joke. Here's what encourages me through all the drama in this world. All the pains of Republicans, Democrats, terrorists, gang violence, abuse, and everything that's going on. God can handle it all. And I'm telling you that is hard. It's hard to embrace. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus never commands us to fix people. He commands us to love people. He fixes people. He just calls us to love people. The problem happens, we see young men, we see young women, we get tired and we get burnt out. And we say, man, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And you're right, you have been trying. But you're so overwhelmed because you realize you don't have the control to change the deepest need of their heart. Only, only Christ can fix that area. Yes, we can start with therapy and get counseling going and go see doctors and we can try to get jobs and we can try to get on the right track. But that deep knee down here, only, only Jesus can touch that. And I want to encourage you as parents or, 
or maybe you got a sibling or your grandparents or you got, you know, somebody who's young and they seem like they're far gone. I want to encourage you. Your job is not to fix them. Your job is to love them by his grace and by his strength. Because some days you're going to be like, man, this is crazy. God, give me strength. Give me grace. This man's spiritual situation was greatly damaging his physical situation. The reason he was cutting himself and the reason he was in shackles and the reason he was full of anger and hurt and the things that we're seeing and even living amongst this graveyard is because of what's going on internally. And we have no clue of what his upbringing was like. We don't know if that came from something that happened with his mom, his dad, his brother, trauma as a youth. We don't know. All we know is the results have landed him here. He comes to Jesus with a heart of humility, a heart of repentance, and said, I'm tired of sitting in this graveyard. And if you're watching online, I want to encourage you. That could be your story today. I don't care who on the planet earth cares or hear about, man, when I was at the lowest point in my life, my pride finally cracked. And I said, man, God, there's nowhere else to turn. And I believe that you can fix the wounds of my heart, and God can do that for you if you're willing to humble yourself and repent and turn to him in faith. God receives the rejected. No one is too far from his grace. There is no wound that is too deep for Jesus to heal. And here's the last thing. No one meets Jesus and leaves the same. Look with me in verse 14. And the herdsmen, that's the kind of shepherds, it says, and the herdsmen, the herdsmen fled and, and told in the city and in the country. So they, they went and the, it was a bunch of shepherds. There was a bunch of people out there. They saw what Jesus did. They ran back in the city to tell people. And it says, and people came to see what it was that had happened. Verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Man, that guy over there, Jesus, he healed him. Listen to this, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is crazy. Two observations here. One, the man who had a demon possession, was cutting himself, was in the graveyard. He comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus' presence one way, and he leaves a different way. So that's a learning point here is that he, it says here that, that Jesus cast out those demons and he's sitting there right now clothed and in his right mind. No one who comes to Jesus in humility, no one who comes to God in true humility, the scripture says, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. The problem with humanity is we're so proud. We're so arrogant and we're not willing to say, I'm weak and I need you, Lord. This man comes and Jesus, he gets up off his knees and Jesus has changed him and he's not the same person anymore. But notice how the people respond. It says in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from this region. So just imagine this with me. Man, Steve got healed. What? Yo, Jesus, you got to go. Like that's what happened. (laughs) Jesus heals this man and their first response is, yo, you got to bounce, man. Mm Mm-mm. Like, not how did you do that? Can you do this to someone else? And not only that, what does that say about this man? The miracle of Jesus changing this man actually made them bitter. Beloved, brothers, sisters, never let your heart get so cold and bitter in rejecting someone 
that you, you can't even celebrate their victories and transformation. Oh, you know, you know, he's doing better now. Yeah, whatever, I heard that before. Oh, you know, they're turning their life around. Oh, yeah, whatever. Can't you at least root for somebody who's trying to do good? Yeah, I know he's been struggling his whole life, but he's trying now. They were okay with him staying the way he was as long as he wasn't near them. This guy gets transformed. No hugs, no celebration, no welcome back. Only Jesus, you got to go. Man, their lack of celebration says a lot about how poorly they thought of this man. My prayer is that that wouldn't be me and you. Thanksgiving comes around. I don't want that person over the house. Mm-mm. Too much drama there. What does Jesus say to this man who has been in bondage in prison? Look at verse 18 and 19. This is powerful right here. Jesus says in verse 18, it says, um, as he was getting into the boat, Jesus is getting to the boat. Picture this now. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. If you could see Jesus face to face, you could be in God's presence. He just healed you. What would you say? Man, I ain't going to be living in the cemetery no more, but Lord, wherever you at, I want to go. That's what he just said. Man, can I go with you? Look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends. Some of your translation says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he has had on you. There's something profound here, church. It's amazing that out of all of the places that Jesus wanted this man to shine brightly, the place that Jesus thought was the best was this man's home. And we don't even know what's going on. I mean, how long has he been gone from the house? Has he been gone since he was a teenager? Is there damaged relationships? Does he have to go back to mom and try to make that right? I don't know, but Jesus says, instead of coming here, instead of going overseas, instead of going from town to town, you need to go back home to your family and start there. This is powerful. I mean, can you imagine his family's face when he rings the doorbell on Thanksgiving? Ding, somebody get the door. Somebody get the door. Pete's back. What? We don't know what happened, but we know Jesus sends him back home. Man, this is encouraging because it tells us family structures shape us more than we think. How we were raised, how we grew up, what we had, what we didn't have, who was there, who wasn't there. And Jesus says, you know what? I want to change the generation of your family, and it's going to start by you going back a changed man. You're not going back the guy that was full of anger. You're not going back the guy that was cold-hearted. You're not going back the guy going back as the guy that was mean. You're not going back as the guy who had to be shackled and nobody could handle him. You're not going back as the guy who was cutting himself and suicidal. You're going back as a changed man. I'm replacing hatred with a tender heart. Anger with love. And I'm going to give you zeal in the right things. This also reminds us, church, that we have an opportunity. Let me tell you. It doesn't matter if I'm in D.C. or we're working on prison reform or certain things. There's there's one thing, well, really two things, the church can offer that nowhere else can offer. One is the message of the gospel and the hope of Christ. But then two is deep, meaningful relationships. We have an opportunity to be family to people who don't have that. You know why young guys join gangs looking for love and family? You know why people click up with their homies because they want love? You know why young women are looking for for men and sleeping around and doing this and that, and at 16, 17 years old, they're looking for love that they maybe never got as a kid, even if their parents were in the house or maybe a mom wasn't there or a dad wasn't there? 
In my case, maybe he was in prison. And we don't realize that, and we have an opportunity to open up our dinner tables. Jesus says, go home to your family. I pray that when he walked there, they were open up their dinner tables. We have an opportunity to show the love of Christ. And notice as it closes out in verse 20, it says, He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's a city of, uh, that's a region of about 10 cities. How much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This, this man who was suicidal and full of anger is now a preacher. He's talking to people. And I don't apologize myself for any of it. God had no reason to set me free and send me home like he did with this man, except to say, go out there and tell people how real I am and go tell people in pain that I could change them. Go point them to me. And so I don't apologize. Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In God's kingdom, preachers, prisoners can become preachers. Former drug addicts can become pastors. Teenagers who are battling issues of anger, sexual promiscuity, contemplating abortions can meet Jesus and grow into godly parents, godly men. No men and women, no one who meets Jesus leaves the same. That's the hope. I pray that you will look at the news not as a burden but as prayer requests. And see men and women that God could transform. The God who receives the rejected. Jesus doesn't reject those who come to him. Jesus can heal our deepest wounds. And no one meets Jesus and leaves the same. As we close out, I want to challenge you. You should have this blue card here. Anyone see this? You should have got this handed to you. This card is meant for you personally to write someone's name, particularly a youth. Someone who you plan to pray for daily and stand in the gap for. And maybe to be honest, your faith is weak right now. You're like, man, John, I get it. Man, praise God for your story. I heard all that. But man, this is, this is bad. And we've tried and we've tried and we tried and we tried. I want to encourage you that whoever's name you put on here, their breakthrough isn't based on you fixing them. It's based upon God's character, his faithfulness, his grace, his consistency, his kindness, his love. All God is asking you to do is to faithfully pray for them, to commit to praying for them, and to lovingly walk with them. So I, I want to give you this opportunity to fill this out. But also, one thing I love about Willow Creek is you guys have partnered with Angel Tree and Prison Fellowship. You're serving over 2,500 kids who have parents who are incarcerated, man, that's a major deal. And I will tell you, as someone who's been in prison, and as someone our church serves in Asian Street, it's so great to go to kids and say, I know you haven't seen your mom in seven years and she's incarcerated, but, but she loves you and this gift is from her and the Lord loves you as well. It's an opportunity for you to actually practically serve with that. But I want to close out by praying over your card, your blue card. So if you could just bow your heads right where you are. I want to just pray God's blessings on you right where you are. Lord, would you bring someone's face or name to mind right now? God, they may be in a dark place and it may be hard right now. It might not be looking good right now. But no one's too far gone from you, Lord. 
So God, I just, I just pray right now, would you, Lord, would you do something miraculous that these little blue papers, they look like nothing but paper right now, but God, we believe that eternal impact can come from that if your people will pray. And if we not only will pray, we will offer ourselves to be available to love. And so God, I, I, I can't see every heart here, anyone sitting at home, but I pray that hundreds not thousands of men and women will come to faith in you because of the men and women listening right now who will commit to praying. God, give us the faith to believe that will happen. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Again, Lord, the stakes is too high. Life is too short. But you are too good and your grace is sufficient. May we cry out on behalf of those that you've laid on our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much siblings, my brothers and sisters for having me.